Let us turn to the word, John 2, 13 to 22. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple courts. He found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables to those who sold doves he said get these out of here how dare you turn my father's house into a market his disciples remember that it is written zeal for your house will consume me then the jews demanded of him what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this jesus answered, destroy this temple and i will raise it again in three days the jews replied it had taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days but the temple he had spoken of was his body after he was raised from the dead his disciples recalled what he had said then they believed the scripture and the word that jesus had spoken amen second timothy three fifteen. and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in christ jesus all scripture is god breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking correcting and training in righteousness amen god is the god of revelation god is the god of revelation God is the God of revelation. God is the God of revelations. Revelation means to reveal. So God reveals himself, and it's through all the things that he made by his word. How did he make all things? By his word, which we heard about last week, Romans 1, 19 um, and 20, so that men are without excuse. By seeing all things, we are to believe that there is a maker, the creator, um, the designer, And that's the way he reveals himself, firstly. But he also, secondly, reveals himself as in his plan and his will, and that's by the written word. So he reveals himself through all creation that he made with his, uh, by his word, and he reveals his plan and his will by the written word, by the written word. So faith means to believe in the Bible, believe in the writing of the Bible, And the words that Jesus spoke. The words that Yeshua spoke. How many of you believe in the Bible? 15% of the room. How many of you believe in the Bible? And of course, you you shouldn't say amen if you don't. Of course, then it would be lying, right? But as Christians, those of, of us who call ourselves as Christians, we need to believe in the Bible. The writing um, of the Bible but also the words that Yeshua spoke, as we just read in John 2, 22. After he died and rose, then the, then the disciples believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. So after witnessing his death and his resurrection and remembering what he had said prior to that, they believed the scripture, what had been prophesying of the Messiah and what the Messiah himself said. So faith means to believe in the Bible, the writing, And then the words that Yeshua spoke. How many of you have this faith? Do you have this faith? If you have this faith, then your faith life, my faith life, our faith life, our Christian life has to be about daily adapting myself, ourselves to the Bible. Adapt, adapt. So adapting, that is to say applying the word, the written word to my life, 
let the word be fulfilled in my life. Amen? So as you notice here, we've been talking about faith, what it means to uh, believe. So from the first week of the month, of the year, we've been kind of building. It's a building block. Like So about like what does it mean to be believing? You know, believe in what? The invisible one. Who is that invisible one? The creator. And how do we believe who he, who he is uh, for what he is? Uh, how do we believe in his word? Here it is. Now we need to believe in the Bible. Believe in the Bible. I know. And we are reading the Bible. Yes? Yeah. So those of you who are reading the Bible, you should be very excited right now. It's like, bring it on. Bring it on. Because I know my stuff here. I know what you're going get, to get to. Whatever you say, I have read it. Amen? Yeah, I hope. Um, so it is to uh, put into practice uh, of applying the written word of the Bible in my life. Not yesterday, not 10 years ago, but every day. Remember, faith is in present progressive tense. I-N-G. You got to be reading, applying, living it. So the Bible certainly is one of the many, many, many books uh, in the world um, I was thinking, like, back in my uh, day as a graduate student in Manhattan, um, we, as graduate students, we would have, like, two envies, usually, like, in my group or my friends. Uh, number one, to get an apartment or be in a space that's bigger than a shoebox. So anywhere, anybody has a dinner or meeting, we're like, wow, you have one more closet. It's like, wow, you have more space. So that was, that was envy. But the other envy that we had was having books. So not just books, like, piling up, but bookshelves, neatly filled with books sounds like nerdy right but that was us like we go to professors and we're like those books i want those so to organize our books and and have them in bookshelves and not just as decoration but the fact that you have a library in your home it's how how exciting is that right so um that i know some of you're going like you could just google all of that i know but now back in the day that's how we kept books and that's called library the bookstore but sadly these places are um, not as popular nowadays but um, there are many, many books, in fact, and all books have um, authors. But the Bible, unlike other books, well, some books out in the world may have um, author as unknown, right? So there is an author behind that book, but they don't know who that is. They don't know the name of that writer, so they just put unknown. The Bible's author is not unknown. It just doesn't have author as in the worldly sense. There is no human author to the Bible. Rather, the Bible has... Um, what you will call recorders or reporters. Some of them were eyewitnesses and some of them actually interviewed eyewitnesses. Some of them actually received the word um, from, uh, through the spirit of, uh, from the Spirit of God from God, but through the Spirit of God. So simply, as we just read in 2 Timothy 3.15 and 16, that it was written by the inspiration of the Spirit of God. It was written by those who are inspired by the Spirit of God in other words. So, the writing of the Bible took the hands of men, but it was actually through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit of God. So that is very, very unique to the Bible. Um, and what's unique is that not only is it a very thick and big book, it's made up of how many books together? 66. That's right, 66. How many in the Old Testament, quickly? What? What? Yeah, is 39, okay. 66 minus 39 is what? 27. Yeah, so altogether you have 66 books um, in the Bible. And it was not written one shot, but it was written uh, over 
long period of time, thousands of years. So it's, and, uh, and it involved many different, um, not authors, but again, writers, reporters, recorders. Um, they wrote in different times and different conditions. Yet they have a common point. Um, and they write about historical facts uh, as content. And because it's written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, it is according to the Word of God. So God spoke. God spoke, and they heard the Word, and they wrote. Right? So it is through the inspiration of the Spirit of God, and they heard according, what they, according to what they heard, they wrote. So the foundation of the Christian faith is to believe that the Bible contains the infallible Word of God, the infallible or the inerrant Word of God, meaning it's without error, without flaw, without mistakes, that it is the perfect Word of God. How many of us believe that? Amen. I believe that. You believe that? Yes? So that is the beginning of our uh, faith. Without that, and you say, well, I like the, this guy named Jesus. He's, he's cool. Like, he's nice. You know, like, I want to meet him. I want to be like him. I mean, that's nice. But there are a lot of people out in the world who are also cool, nice, and good people. But the reason why we need to love, know Yeshua, know Jesus, Yeshua, and, and love him, and live like him, follow him, is because of the writing of the Bible. Okay? Um, Luke was not one of the 12 disciples, but he was actually one of these sort of reporters who had interview eyewitnesses to write down his book. So in Luke 1, 1 to 4, it says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning... I, too, decided to write an orderly account for you. And he was um, writing to the most excellent Theophilus, the, uh, the, gov- uh, the leader there in, in the Roman Empire, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So the part that's very important about what uh, Luke is writing is that he is not one of the 12, but he interviewed eyewitnesses. Eyewitness, Channel 7, ABC, eyewitness news, right? So eyewitnesses, that's what the reporters do. They go out there and, and ask the eyewitnesses of certain events. That's what Luke did. And then he said he carefully investigated everything from the beginning. And then he decided to write. Of course, it was not his own decision. It was the inspiration of the Spirit of God that made him do that. So what the Bible has is historical fact, not made-up story. It is sufficient, therefore, to be the basis of faith. It is sufficient, it is reliable to be the basis of faith. Reliable basis of faith. It provides a reliable basis of faith. What did I just say? It provides what? Reliable basis of faith. Because if someone says, anyone asks, how do you believe the Bible? What do you believe on? We don't, because there are people who believe in a lot of things. But what makes the Christian faith distinctive? What, what makes the Christian faith stand above others? Uh, and a step further, especially young people who grow up in the church, and I was one of those too. You're growing up in the church, you, you're in the sort of the church bubble. And then when you go to uh, outside the world, you know, as you're working, or especially if you pursue higher education in college, college campus, people are going to start questioning. How can you believe that stuff? How can you still go to church? How do you believe in the mumbo-jumbo fairy tale? It's all made up. People told the stories over, over, over thousands of years, and they passed on and they just sort of wrote down some version and it's all different people writing whatever they want and you got 66 books. How do you believe that stuff? So we have um, many um, scholars who 
uh, who are referred to as apologetics, who make this their uh, profession and their interest to study um, the legitimacy or the reliability of the Bible as um, the basis of the Christian faith. Um, a couple of well-known people are, um, I think, McDowell, I forget his first name, um, and uh, also Jonathan Morrow. I have this article that I've written. I've watched some of their videos, too, and we have some books by them. Um, Josh McDowell, is, yeah, he's a very well-known um, apologetics, and he actually write, wrote a book, very uh, well-known and well-read and, and well-done, um, that defends the Bible. Um, and it's called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And he has said in there um, that, there are 16 total historians apart from scripture that reference Christ. So it's not just Christians who mention Christ, but these are non-believers who wrote about um, Christ uh, in, in, in their reference. Um, and there was another scholar saying that there are more evidence that Jesus lived than Julius Caesar. Do you guys know Julius Caesar? Anybody read Julius Caesar by Shakespeare? Yes. Okay. So Julius Caesar, and everyone assumes that he lived right no one doubts about that because history uh, documents his existence no one doubts yeah that he lived um but there's more evidence that jesus lived than julius caesar so how can people not take the bible seriously about his life and the recording of his life what he did and what he said um and the importance of having a witness is that you want that witness um the um to be as close to the event as possible uh, and you want the direct eyewitnesses. So the gospel writers give you that. The four gospel writers. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Besides Luke, the three are witnesses, uh, uh, as in the disciples. Um, but Luke had said, as I just read, they investigated, he investigated everything carefully, right? Investigated everything carefully from the beginning. And then he wrote down what he heard from the eyewitnesses. But then you have... Um, so that is uh, Luke, but also Paul, uh, the apostle, who was not one of the eyewitnesses of Yeshua, but he also um, interviewed the apostles and knew many others who witnessed Yeshua. So they wrote. So much of the New Testament is written by Paul, who's not one of the 12 disciples. I know today's a little bit different of set up a sermon. We are kind of staying a little bit uh, in the beginning about the Bible because it is the basis of our faith. The reason why we're here is because of the Bible, folks. Don't forget that. Amen? And even if you're like, yeah, I'm not into reading, you better be into reading the Bible. I'm sorry. I, I don't, I, you better be into reading the Bible. <laughs> okay. All right. Where were we? Okay. So there is overwhelming evidence in the Bible. Um, so, uh, so as these witnesses have um, taken account um, or the interviewed, they've been interviewed. So someone like John, again, Matthew, Peter, John, James, they actually live with Jesus. So their account is very accurate because they are eyewitnesses. But you have someone like Paul and Luke who are um, uh, who have in- investigated, interviewed, and investigated. So we're talking about the New Testament there. Um, also, that um, when it comes to the Bible, the surviving ancient copies um, or pieces uh, of the Bible, when you compare it to other ancient written work, because the Bible that we have is not the original. These come from copies. So uh, there are many, many copies that exist, um, like the Dead Sea Scroll, uh, you might have heard, um, that contain like Book of Isaiah, for example. Um, so you have the Masoretic text. Uh, these are the Old Testament copies. And then you have many, many more New Testament 
copies that were written. If you remember the early church, they wrote down by hand and then copied them and sent them out to church. You didn't have a picture to take and then you know, text out. You can't. You have to literally write it down, copy it word by word, and then roll it up. And then give it to the bird and the bird is going to fly. <laughs> and then, no, anyway, somebody had to take it and then they had to deliver. So uh, what McDowell had said was when it comes to the Bible, the surviving ancient copies or the pieces of um, the Bible outnumber all other ancient works. He says about uh, there are 66,420 some manuscripts and scrolls for the Bible. Wow. Why is it so important that there are so many? First of all, compare that to Homer. Homer's um, the Iliad. Um, that has about 1827 copies. And everybody reads Homer. And they trust his account of his time or whatever he's writing. And that it is it's a literary work. But it also has something about telling about the culture or the civilization at the time. But compare that. The Bible just blows Homer out of the water because it's, or the park because it's, um, so it has so many more, um, copies or manuscripts, um, from it. Um, but of course, having so many copies, then there are criticism. There's skeptics saying, Hey, there are so many mistakes in these copies. If you put them all side by side, they're not identical, right? They can't be identical because there was no AI. There was no camera. It was humans who are copying. So what kind of mistakes, quote unquote mistakes or variants, are we talking about? These are about 400,000 variants in the Bible. Uh, when scholars look at them, 99% of these 400,000 uh, variants or so number evaporate as simple spelling errors. Like honor, H-O-N-O-R, for example, spelled like H-O-N-O-U-R. Right? Like a savior, S-A-V-I-O-R, spelled uh, differently, S-A-V-I-O-U-R, for example. Wordle, anybody? Hello. Yeah, okay. You're like, okay. All right. So um, these are spelling um, differences. Also, there are cases where if you call, one place says um, there were two men who were possessed by demons. Remember? The, the possessed by a legion. And then the other place says one man was possessed by demon. So why does one book say two men and the other one says one? Um, because... You know, one of the explanations could be that one, uh, they wanted to con- uh, concentrate on that one man for some reason. But in the end, it's the same story. That Yeshua cast out the demons from these men and they were made whole. So the vari- variance there, two or one, is that that's significant with respect to everything else. right? So you can explain these variants or quote-unquote errors or differences among the copies in the way. Another example would be Judas Iscariot. How did he die? One book says uh, that he hung himself. Uh, the other one says he fell to the ground and his gut spilled out and died. So what's the difference? It could actually be that he hung himself and then the rope broke and he fell to ground and spilled the gut, right? So it could be one story, but one person focused on that part. The other person writing focused on the other part. So you can, you can understand uh, these variations as not, being, um, not proving the um, lack of reliability, but rather authenticity according to the writer as he saw the importance to highlight, uh, produce a different result. But 
in the end, with respect to the whole story, it is one story and one uniform um, story that is telling that is the will of God. There's also so many ways to explain the accuracy of the copying process. There were many, many... 4,000 regulations that the scribes had to follow to copy these, especially the Old Testament, obviously. And then the New Testament would be a little bit um, uh, different, but the Old Testament to be the basis of our uh, Christian faith because it's based on the Old Testament writing that Jesus came to prove that he is the Messiah, the prophesied one, prophesied through the Old Testament. So the copying price process of the Old Testament is also very, very important, actually more important. Um, but there are these thousands of regulations and supervision for the meticulousness of um, writing that you have to trust that the copy process was very um, strict and therefore produced reliable copy. Does this make sense to you so far? But ultimately, there are so many other things, but ultimately, um, these scholars point out the fact that dying for the gospel, unless the gospel is true, people would not have laid down their lives. If it had been made up, some fairy tale somebody wrote out for whatever purpose, it's some oral story and traditions and folk tales, no one would lay their lives down for it. But what we see in the history of the Christian faith is that one after the other and other, other, and to this day, people face endure persecution and even death based on this one book the written word of God in the Bible, and therefore we know that it is not fake, it is not made up, but it was written by the inspiration of the Spirit of God, of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah! This is the way that God has revealed himself. As I said, through all things he made by the word, he, cre- uh, he revealed himself, he reveals himself to his days, and he, through the spoken word, he revealed himself. He spoke to Moses, he spoke to the prophets, he spoke to um, these men, um, men that he had chosen to be men of God, he spoke to them. And he, he revealed himself through the writing of the word, as I've been talking about so far. So who wrote them? Deuteronomy 9.10 says, God himself wrote on the stone tablets. It says, the Lord gave me two stone tablets inscribed by the finger of God. So God himself wrote the tablets. But Moses also wrote, Exodus 17, 14, the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. So Moses heard from God and wrote. Do you know what, how many books Moses wrote? How many books? I heard the number. Five. Yes, that's what those, uh, those books are called. The Pentateuch. Should we do it? What are they? Uh-oh, this is Bible trivia. Yes, Genesis, Exodus. Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Oh my goodness, I finished that. How many of you, yeah? You're like, Deuteronomy, I'm still inching my way there. Oh boy, God has mer- let God have mercy on you, but continue on. All right, so those five first books are the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, they're for the Bible. And then the rest that you have, um, you group them as historical books. So we call them the Chronicles, as namely like the history or, of the kingdom of Israel that includes the books of Chronicles, but before the Samuels and Kings and all that. And you have like Ezra and all these other guys. And then you have the Psalms. Um, and actually the book of Job will fall under that category. Um, so um, 
that, that has many books, but then the rest of the Old Testament are called the prophetic books. You have the major prophets and the minor prophets. Major league, minor league, yes. So the major, major league are those guys who wrote big, thick books. If you're lost somewhere in Ezekiel, feel like, is this dream or is this real? That's one of the prophetic books. And then you have minor, you're like, I love Malachi because you know what's coming after that. It's Matthew, yes. So the New Testament, kicking off with Matthew, you have four gospel books. After that, you have the book of Acts. And then the rest of the uh, New Testament are called the epistles, which are letters that the apostle wrote to the churches with the final book of Revelation. So these are the books that make up uh, the 66 books of the Bible. What are they all about? The content of the word are two things, covenants and prophecies. What are they? Covenants and prophecies. Oh my goodness, maybe we should take a mini break and review with your neighbor. What did I just say? How many books? 60 books, 66 books. And then what? what what's the content? Covenants. Covenants and prophecies. Yeah, covenants is a bilateral word of God. If you do this, I'll do that. Prophecies is a unilateral word. I will do this. It will happen like this. So how many are, are there? 32,500. How many? Oh my gosh, so many numbers thrown at you. I'm going to test you at the end of all this. And in what language is the Old Testament written in? Anyone know? Hebrew. The New Testament? Logo students. Oh my goodness, your diploma depends on this, okay? The Old Testament in Hebrew. The New Testament in Greek. What is unique about the Hebrew language? It is the most resilient language ever. It doesn't change. So... There may be some modern words or expressions, but they, the, the, the Hebrew language that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible in is still being studied and taught in schools now, in, in Israel, for example, where they speak Hebrew. So that's an amazing, miraculous thing about this language. Why is it amazing and miraculous? Because if you look at the history of the people of Israel, the so-called Hebrew people, they did not have territory. They did not have their own nation until 19... 19- uh, 48 really to say i mean of course they had their own kingdom but it was on constant attack and they had lost their sovereignty thousands of years um four thousands of years so they were in captives they were occupied they were taken as um yeah, slaves and, and all of that so they lived even as nomads right having no uh, land of their own always traveling so they're constantly uh, around other languages and other cultures but they preserved their language, really, in fact, it's not them. It was God preserving the language of Hebrews to set it apart from all the other languages that came from the Tower of Babel. Remember that, where all the lang- the, the birth of the place where all multiple languages emerged. But the language of Hebrew was set apart. Why? So that God would choose their people to contain his word of covenants and prophecies of the Old Testament. Are you following me so far? God chose the people of Israel for the Hebrew language, set it apart to contain his word according to his will, that it will provide the covenants and prophecies that the Messiah will come and do what? Fulfill one by one, one after another. Are you impressed? Are you loving the Bible? Amen. So that's the beauty of the book of Hebrew, but certainly uh, there's reason why the New Testament was written in Greek as well. Greek it was the, the universal language at the time of Jesus. Uh, the disciples all spoke. Uh, they communicated through Greek. They wrote and, and they and spoke. And it was sort of the universal language like uh, English at the time. So it's easily spread, widely available. So whosoever can hear, read the gospel and be saved. Beautiful. Hallelujah. So the language used, the each language or both languages used to 
write the Bible, Hebrew and uh, Greek, reveal God's purpose and dispensation. So the people of Israel understood that they were chosen people and that God spoke to their forefathers, their uh, prophets, um, starting with Moses and so on, that they understood this as a privilege and having the temple of Jerusalem in their midst was a privilege and it was a reminder of this promise that God spoke to their people through the angels, through Moses and through the prophets. So when... Yeshua finally came who claimed himself to be the son of God coming in the name of savior Yeshua Jesus but Yeshua what did he say about the temple as we read before destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days oh my gosh you just like skipped the whole OT part I just spoke about the OT part here with with the Bible here Uh, but Yeshua saying destroy the temple the temple that had the name of Jehovah who spoke to their people in the name of Jehovah but here is Yeshua saying, I have come in my father's name, John 5, 43, but you, have, you do not receive me, he said. But that name is the name of Yeshua, that in that name he has come, and in that name he has come to fulfill according to the writing of the scriptures. Amen. Yes. So he came to fulfill all that has been written by the hands of men. But really, it includes the writing that was there before. So not only was there writing before the coming of Jesus, coming of Yeshua, but there was writing before the creation. Um, let's go to Psalm 139 to 16. It's just beautiful. This word is speaking of Yeshua himself. 139, 16. Psalm 139, 16. Your eyes saw my unformed body, All the days ordained for me were written in your, are you guys hungry? Let's read. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Wow. Who is this about? Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Before my body was formed. Before my body was formed, the body of man, the flesh of man. Before I came to the world, it was written in your book. Who is this talking about? Let's go to John 1.1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word And the word was God. He was with God in. So the one who was with God in the beginning is the word. And the word is the self-manifestation, self-revelation of God. So God decided to reveal himself as the word. But before that, he was already revealing himself, has been revealing himself through all creation. But before all creation, before anything was made, including the invisible things like the spiritual heaven, like the spiritual beings, like angels before anything was made there is god do you agree god who was and is and is to come from everlasting to everlasting that is god and then he there he is god there he is and that is god but with him is the word and this is the part of god who was planned to be manifested to be revealed in time so that is where psalm 139 we connect Your eyes saw my unformed body. So what does that mean? The word was going to be manifested in the form of human body. So verse 14 says what? The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Who is he? 
Yeshua, hallelujah. This is why you have to love the Bible. It is just precise, accurate. What the Old Testament says was fulfilled through Yeshua when the word became flesh. Hallelujah. So he came to fulfill according to the writing and that he will fulfill the writing that was there before the creation of the world. So not only are we talking about the Old Testament, the writing that existed before the physical coming of Yeshua 2,000 years ago, what Moses wrote, what uh, the prophets wrote, all those things were there before Yeshua came to the world. And the history of mankind, the history of the Bible, they existed. But even before those writings, before any of those writers exist, before anything existed, there was God, the word was there, the writing was in the word. The writing was in the word with the word. Do you understand? And he became flesh and he came to the world and he referred to himself as the son of man. What did he call himself? Because he has the flesh. He has the flesh like man. Though he is God, the son of God, who is very nature God, who is spirit. But he came as man to, to, uh, to fulfill according to writing, which is his death. So all the writing was in place before he came. Certainly, um, his birth was already there. So the fact that he was going to be born in Bethlehem, Matthew 2, 5 to 6 talks about that, but that was by Micah who prophesied about uh, from a little town called Bethlehem, a baby born, but he will be the king. Um, there's so many places we don't have time, but in Logos, we will go through some of them. But his public life also, uh, public life meaning, he lived um, after baptism, revealing himself as the prophes- prophesied one to come. He lived as the, uh, revealing himself as the son of God, as the Messiah, the one to come. Uh, that life was also prophesied about what he would do, his suffering, and the fact. Um, so when he, after he was baptized and fasted for forty days, and he is hungry, and that's when the tempter came, the devil came, knowing his weakness, he said, "I know you're hungry. You just fasted for forty days. Why don't you turn these stones to bread?" And what did Yeshua say in response to that? He said, "You're right. I'm hungry. I'm going to feed myself. I'm going to make myself some lunch." No, he said, "It is." Written. What did he say? It is written that man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Hallelujah. Matthew 4, 4. But those words came from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 8, 3 says man does not live on bread alone. It doesn't say man does not live on bread. Then we'll be like, oh, Lord, let me die now. But bread alone. Thank you, Lord. Yes. But also, on, oh, we live by the word of God because we are spiritual beings. Amen. Also, continuing on, um, the, the devil tried again. Round two. He said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Uh-oh. And then here's the devil himself quoting, citing the scripture himself. How dare. <laughs> he said, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. He's citing Psalm 91. The devil. And you think the Lord's going to let him? No way. The Lord said what? It is written. It is also written. Do not put the Lord your God to test. Deuteronomy 6.16. Round two. He defeated him. Hallelujah. And finally, when the devil took him to high place, uh, he said, I'll give you all the splendors of the Lord if you bow down to me. And the Lord said, away from me, Satan, for it is written. Worship the Lord your God and serve him 
only. Deuteronomy 6.13. And he defeated him. Hallelujah. So by the written word, he defeated the tempter, the temptations. And then he began his public life um, and did the work that the father sent him to do. That daily he lived according to the written word, the preaching of the good news uh, to the to the sick, to the oppressed, to the needy. All of that is prophesied, especially in Isaiah, and in referring to his healing in Matthew 8, 16 to 17, it says, um, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the demons, the spirits with the word, and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. That's in 53 verse 4. So even healing that he was doing, certainly because he's compassionate and is loving. People, when they needed healing, he came, they came to him and he did heal. But it's not just spontaneous thing that he did. But it was all according to the writing. The writing existed before he, com- he came. And all the things that he did every single day while he was on earth, especially for those three days of his public life leading up to his death, were according to the writing. So... The fact that he came upon writing is so important. Let's go to John 5, 39. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about... He's speaking to the, uh, the Jews who were studying the scriptures. And the scriptures there are referring to not the New Testament, but... The Old Testament, because the New Testament was not written yet, right? So they're studying uh, the books from the, uh, the Old Testament. And, and Yeshua is saying, you're studying those because you think by knowing them, have, uh, reading them and studying them, that you will have eternal life. But let me tell you who they are about. They are about me. They are about Yeshua. So he is saying that all the writings of the Old Testament are about who? About one person. That is Yeshua. That it is regarding Yeshua, what he would do to fulfill every one of them. Do you remember how many? 32,500. Covenants and prophecies. Yes, all of that were, yes, they, they came true. They were fulfilled in the time of Abraham. They fulfilled in the time of Moses. They were fulfilled in the time of Elijah and so on. But they were all shadow of what Yeshua will fulfill. The Son of God, the incarnate word. Hallelujah. So even his death by, a, by the betrayal of one of the twelve was prophesied. So regarding Judas Iscariot, he said in John um, thirteen eighteen, this is when they were having the Passover, they were breaking bread. And he had said, I'm not referring to all of you. He's talking about someone who betrayed him. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill this passage of scripture. He who share my bread has turned against me. So the one who would dip his bread and elsewhere describes as they're sharing the bread together. And that's actually from Psalm 41 verse 9. There was prophecy in Psalm speaking of someone who will share my bread turned against me. How many of you feel like I want to go back to Psalms again? Yes, go back to Psalms. Please do. And read again. Be like, what? Where is this? Yes, all the things about Yeshua are prophesied in the Old Testament in the book of Psalms as well. So that was regarding the betrayal of Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, who would betray him. And in fact, that when he was talking about his death, the disciples were saying, no, please don't say that. And or, when, when, the man, uh, when the men came to arrest him, he said, don't you know that I have the authority to call down the angels, legions of angels, to stop this arrest? But he has said in Matthew 26, 53, 54, How then would the scriptures be fulfilled that I say it must happen in this way? Meaning, I told you that I'm going to be, I'm going to die. I told you I'm going to be betrayed by one of the twelve. 
I can't stop my death, but I'm not going to. Because I came here to fulfill the writing, which says that I will be betrayed, and then I will be handed over, and then passed on to death. So, also citing the fact that people all turned against him all the for a while. They followed him, and they loved him, and they wanted to make him their king. John 15, 25, the Lord said, this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. And because of that, in the end, they all shouted out, crucify him, crucify him. Again, all that was prophesied, Psalm 35, 19, and Psalm 69, 4. They hated me without reason. So this is why we need to study the Old Testament. We can't just have those, you know, those Gideon Bibles or like skinny New Testament Bibles that people hand out evangelists on the street. I mean, that could be your introduction. But you need to start from the Old Testament to know who Yeshua is, to accept him, believe him and accept him as who he is. That is, that he is the revealed one, the word who became flesh to reveal God that is only based on the Old Testament. We can know that. So according to the writing, he was betrayed and then he was crucified. He hung on a tree and that too was prophesied. Deuteronomy 21, 23 says, because anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. Anyone who is on that cross crucified is under God's curse. That was already written down in the Old Testament that the one who was prophesied to come did not come to dwell on earth and receive all the glory and honor on earth as an earthly king, but he came to die. And the way he was going to die was by hanging on a tree. Certainly the bronze snake that was put on a pole where all the people of Israel looked and they were healed, that represents the crucifixion as well. Now let's go to John 19. Read this together. 19, right leading up to his death. 19.23. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one uh, for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. The garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Wow, even that was written in the, past, in the Old Testament, what the soldiers were going to do. Jump to 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. When I was preparing for the sermon, I read that part, and I'm still getting choked up. Because... All the way through his, from his birth, conception, birth, his public life, the betrayal, the suffering, even the healing and the ministry that he led, and then the betrayal, the suffering, the crucifixion, all that was written about or written of in the Old Testament, and one by one, like a checklist, he crossed off, did it, did it, did it, did it, fulfilled. Done, done, done. And then here going, knowing that everything that had now been finished, he remembered there's one thing that he needed to fulfill that was left. So that scripture would be fulfilled. 
He said, I am thirsty. There's no record of the other two guys saying, I'm thirsty. You don't think they were thirsty? This is death by dehydration and bleeding out. They are thirsty among other pains. But why the issue of who healed the sick, raised the dead, who walked on water, who multiplied food, who performed countless miracles, say, I am thirsty, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. That when he had given, when they had given him in response to that, this sort of wine vinegar, he had received the drink and said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You can see how all that he did and all that he endured, all that he said were according to a writing that existed prior to his coming. But we now know that it's not just prior to his coming in history, but even before history, that writing existed with God in the word, in the beginning. And he fulfilled every one of them. And leading up to his death, as he said, it is finished. Hallelujah. Who in the world? Who in the world, who else in the world came to the world having such writing existing before one's life? No, no one else. No one else. Doesn't matter if they're a founder of a religion like uh, Muhammad or Buddha, whoever it is. There is no writing existing before they're coming in this number and having them fulfilled one by one. Like Yeshua. Hallelujah. It was that moment that he died according to Father's command that existed, that was given to him before the creation. And it was that moment that he judged the enemy of God, the origin of sin, the devil, Satan. And that his death, when he died, you know, traditionally those who died on the cross, they broke the legs to make sure that they were dead. Because there are, there are some record of people who are crucified and they died for days. Can you imagine? People walk by and then they will hang these crosses like along the path. So, because it, it was a very powerful deterrent, you know, uh, tool. So that if you do wrong, this is going to be happening to you. So these people who are hanging on the cross, they will be actually saying stuff and letting out, like making noise. For days. So they want to make sure that they were dead before they took them, so they, they taken away. So they will break the, the legs of those who were executed. But in John 19, 33, so when they came to Jesus, found that he was already dead. They did not break his legs. And that is based on the writing about the lamb of the Passover. The Passover lamb that they were to consume was not to be broken. And the Passover lamb is Yeshua, hallelujah. So it is through his death, according to the scriptures, he dying as an atoning sacrifice. He paid the price of sins of all men in Adam because our ancestor committed their original sin in the Garden of Eden by destroying the word, word of God. We received that sin and along with the sin, with that sin, the price of sin. We did not know that, but the law taught us that we are sinners. The sins that we committed with our hands and even Yeshua himself saying, the sins that you think, that makes you also sinner. So in the end, that we are all doomed to go to hell because of sin. But Yeshua, through his one-time death as an atoning sacrifice, pay for all. That is called redemption. Hallelujah. And through his redeeming precious blood that he shed, he made all, he gave, uh, he made a way for souls to become new creation by receiving that precious blood so that whosoever believes later on, like us today, can now live according to the writing, doing the will of God, the will of the Father. Hallelujah. 
So his death, as 1 Corinthians 15.3, Paul reminds us that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. According to what? The scriptures. And what are the scriptures referring to? The Old Testament. The Old Testament. So all the writings that existed before Yeshua coming were all for him to fulfill, and he did so one by one. But even his resurrection was according to the scripture. Certainly in Acts 2.27, says, You will not abandon me in the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. The realm of dead in the latest translation says, but that's Sheol, that's the place of death here in the universe, Hades, that comes from Psalms 16.8-11. You will not abandon me in Sheol, you will not see me decay, meaning the father will raise me back up. But also beautiful in Amos chapter 9 verse 11, through the prophet there, it says, in that day, I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins and rebuild it as it used to be. Rebuild it? Raise it again? That's talking about the temple of his body. Hallelujah! I will put my hands together and say, thank you, Yeshua. Amazing. How beautiful is this book? Amen. Am I the only one who's getting excited here? If the Bible is not true, we're all doomed, guys. If we didn't have the Bible, we, have, we can't have faith. Certainly, we are to believe in Yeshua even without the writing. And certainly, there were times and there are people around the world who have no access to the Bible in history and even to this day. Even so, when they hear the gospel, they are to believe to be saved. But the fact that we are given the writing and we have all these tools and a preacher like here giving you in stereo, 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 shouting excitedly, emotionally to highlight the reliable, this reliable basis of our faith. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. So according to that writing, such writing, Yeshua resurrected. And through his fulfillment of every word that was recorded about him, he gave the greatest authority to the Bible. It's not like an actor looking at a script going like, what am I supposed to say? I'm thirsty. Okay, it is finished. It's not that. It's the writing existed for him to fulfill them. By giving authority to the scripture and the scriptures testify about who? Yeshua. So that later on, reading the scripture, reading the Bible, now together with the Old Testament and New Testament, we can believe the word of the Bible because it is about Yeshua. We believe Yeshua. We believe in the word of Yeshua. Hallelujah. So he resurrected, providing this reliable basis of faith. And the disciples, as we read in John 2, 22, at the time they didn't understand, destroy the temple, I'll raise it again. They did not understand. But after receiving the Holy Spirit, having witnessed his death and his resurrection, then they believed the scripture and the words of Yeshua. Hallelujah. He ascended to heaven and sat down on the throne. In Revelation 5, one describes as the one who was seated on the throne. In his right hand is a scroll with writing on both sides sealed with seven seals. A scroll. He's holding the scroll. What does that mean? He has the original copy. That is ho logos. Hallelujah. Is this beautiful or what? I am so excited how perfect the Bible is. If you're going like, what are you so excited about? God has mercy on you that you open the Bible and read. The Holy Spirit came from that throne in the name of Yeshua to those who believe in the word. 
of the writing, those who believe in Yeshua. How many of you believe in Yeshua? How many of you believe in the Bible? In the word of the Bible, the written word of the Bible. And you receive the Holy Spirit. How many have received the blood of Yeshua? How many have received therefore the Holy Spirit? You've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. You have the evidence for you speaking in tongues. Hallelujah. But where does that come from? Even the coming of the Holy Spirit was prophesied even in the Old Testament. Now we understand when Yeshua said... The counsel, I will send counselor in my name. And he had said in John 7, 38, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of liver, rivers of living water, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Right? So rivers of living water will flow from them, referring to the Holy Spirit coming as Revelation 21, 22, like from the throne of God and the lamb, the river of the living water flowing out, proceeding from the father. But that was said by Zechariah 14.8. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem. What's in Jerusalem? What's in Jerusalem? The temple. The temple. Uh-oh. From the temple, water is coming out. So the holy temple in, in the spiritual heaven where Yeshua is, that water is coming, representing the Holy Spirit. But from our, uh, from our within us, Yeshua said, living water will flow out. So am I Jerusalem? Am I temple? Yes, I am. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you know that you are the temple of God? Hallelujah! From the temple coming the living water. So you put all these together. It's referring to the Holy Spirit coming to the souls of believers. And what does he do? He opens our hearts to understand the Bible. As the Lord did um, after he resurrected and appeared to his disciples in Luke 24, 45-46, we read that, he said to the disciple, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. All referring to the Old Testament. And then he opened their minds so they can understand the scriptures. And they did. And they did. Until then they didn't. But the Lord explained to them, listen. This is all about me. And when the counselor comes, he will open your heart, open your mind all the more. And not only that, that you will know that it's the reliable basis of your faith. So reliable that it will be worth and guarantee that even if you lay down your life for it and because of it, you will not regret and it will not be in vain it will not be a mistake because according to the word that he prophesied and fulfilled everything all the promises he made he fulfilled everything he sure will fulfill in you as well hallelujah so receiving the holy spirit means that you believe in the bible i know personally many of you in this room that i met when you first came to, um and we first met you didn't believe in anything right where are you? Many of you, right? You didn't believe in anything. I don't believe in anything. I don't believe there's God. I never thought about God. I never even thought about creation. I thought what school taught me evolution was right. And I don't believe in anything, but I'm open. I'm open. But from there, what happened? You opened, you opened up and received the blood of Yeshua. And you opened up, received the Holy Spirit. Now you believe in the Bible. Believe in the word of Yeshua. Say amen if that's you. Amen. Oh, I will say more confidently. Amen. How did that happen? So seeing that change makes all the more gives me confirmation that he is real. That he is the God of revelation. How can a man suddenly believe in God? How can a man suddenly believe in the word of the Bible? While the world is still saying that it's just written by man. It's just made up of some made up stories. 
No, this is based on historical facts. In fact, the covenants and prophecy, all 32,500, not including the ones by Yeshua, we have one that has to yet be fulfilled. And that is regarding his return. He is coming back. Amen. Because if he fulfilled 32,000, maybe 499, if you count it that way, all of them, would he not fulfill the one last one remaining? His credit score is so far one. 100%. 100%. Will he not fulfill the last one? He sure will. Amen. So to this day, he, as he gave us his name, the name of Yeshua, we can experience the written word of the Bible in our lives, in my life. I can pray for the word, the written word of the Bible be fulfilled in my life as I pray. As the Lord promised in Mark 16, 17, 18, all these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands and they drink deadly poisons. It will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. How many of you have the experience of praying for something and receiving answer how many of you have prayed for healing and you've been healed even if it's not some incurable big or straight serious disease but it was a little tummy ache or a toothache whatever it was but it was painful and you prayed for it and god miraculously answered how many of you have experienced amen we are gathered this morning and we begin every week this way and why are we doing that why are we gathered here right now because of the written word because of the written word that says, Yeshua said, gather in my name. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And that Sabbath for us today who believe in the Redeemer, Yeshua, is observed on the Lord's Day, which is the day after Sabbath on Sunday. And we come together as members of body, gather where his name is, and we worship him. Amen. Why must we come to church every morning, even though we're tired? And some of us, because you have really early schedule, you come every night. And then like, like it's, you're, you had a long day, you're so tired, and it's dark, and you're coming. Yeah, it's dark in the morning too. Dark in the morning, dark at night. And you're coming and go, Yeshua, why do we have to do that? Because of the written word. The Lord said, ask in my name, and I will do. Ask in my name and I will do. Pray my name and you'll be answered. Knock and it will be open. Ask and it will be given to you. Hallelujah. So the preacher, as I said before, I'm delivering exactly what's written in the Bible. So I am preaching about, we, we preach about an hour, a little more, many times. And because we're reading the Bible together, many people say like, wow, it's like an intensive Bible study. It's nothing, honey. You should, you should have been here last night. Yeah. But still, every Lord's Day, we put this effort to study. Open the Bible. Open the Bible. Open the Bible. And we have micro-sized font uh, summary at the, behind the program. Does anybody even look at it? I know regional group leaders have to look at it because they have to lead the service. But the program in the back, which goes on the website, has many, many citations. Every line has a citation, which is all from the Bible. You know what you need to do? That's your homework. You need to look up every Bible verse. And if you follow him, if you're one of my like five Twitter followers, five, five followers, you will see my quotes that I try to put up every day, which is like a little bit here and there. I'm just breaking the, breaking the Bible verse for you because the sermon has so many references. You can't possibly understand everything. You don't have time to go through every one of them. But that's why you need to take time and look at it. So don't take my word for it. Be like the Bereans in Acts 17, 11, 12. The Berean Jews were 
of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if Paul, what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. So they, this is what the Christian who believes in the Bible and the word of Yeshua must do. Daily examine the Bible. What are we to do? I need only these people are following. What happened to these people? You guys need some extra breakfast or something? What's going on? What do we do? Daily? Turn to your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor. What do you do? Daily what? Examine. Not like, let me get through it. It's like, you know, let me get through it. Let me eat my broccolis and I'm going to get to the fried chicken. It's like, let me get through it and get to the fun stuff. Sometimes it does feel like that. It feels like you have to, it's something you have to get out of the way. But we can't take any time uh, for granted. You realize the more we read the Bible as opposed to reading the newspaper. And, and, and believe me, I do, read the Bible, uh, I do read the news and I do read the news magazine just to know what's going on. To understand the Bible is true. What's going on in the world that we live in, the times that we're living in. But I'm not basing my everyday action on that. I need to study the Bible, examine the Bible. Because when I read the Bible, listen to the Bible, what's happening? All the worries and all the distractions, all the sadness, anxieties of the world, they subside. They are gone because the word of God is living and enduring and active. Hallelujah. Do you realize that? Such difference. When you listen to the news, it's like even the music, they go, storm is coming. It's like, oh my God, oh my God. Recession is coming. Oh, layoff alert. Oh my God. It's like nerve wracking, like the red alert, alert, alert. Like Google laid off these many people. Like, what is next? Microsoft laid off. Oh my God, what? Am I next? Am I next? Turn it off. Turn the word of God. Turn on the Bible. Read the Bible. What is it going to give you? It's going to give you peace. It's going to give you rest. It's going to give you joy. It's going to give you comfort. It's going to give you life. It's going to give you hope. Hallelujah. Because it is the living word of God. It is about Yeshua. It has been given to us so that we may believe him. Amen. We ought to examine with eagerness, therefore, not with skepticism. Theologians study the Bible with skepticism. It's an object of research. So they have to question the reliability, the validity, the authenticity, blah, 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 about the Bible. But we, we approach it with humble humility and eagerness. What's the eagerness about? With the desire to know him. I want to know Yeshua. I want to know him. And so far, I like, I love what I've known about Yeshua. And I want to know him more and more. And where can I go to know him more and more? It's the Bible. That's why when we come to Logos, it's like, oh, wow, what I have read, what I'm reading, it's making sense. That's what it's about. So that's why we are coming to the gathering and sharing the word. Sharing the word is like reminding, even though you're, maybe your regional group leader is not going to be as, as, as powerful, as charismatic and articulate as the pastor. And it's a good thing. Yeah, if that was the case, then. You know, then we might have to swap, yeah? So don't expect that. Some people expect like, how come my group leader is not leading like pastor? 
hello, that's here once a week. You know, it's like, don't expect that on Wednesday and Tuesday. What their responsibility is to share, share what you have gotten out, what they're getting out of. So every week has to be different. It can't be just every day. Father loves you. Father loves you. Some people, it's just always the same thing. It's little different, little by little, little by little. It's a little bit different about which angle that you're approaching about the attribute of God. And the beautiful thing that Pastor Kang has established here in COJ sermonizing, and I've learned from her as her disciple, is that she sees this like speckle, spots or sprinkle throughout the Bible, the attribute of God. Starting with an attribute of God, it's like putting one needle into these beads, picking up these beads and lining them up from Old Testament all the way to Revelation. How beautiful is that? Hallelujah. So when we learn more and more that I know him more and more, and I love him more and more as a result of that. And what the Bible tells, reminds us that Ezekiel 3, 3, the, um, the Lord said to Ezekiel, son of man, eat this scroll I'm giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it. This is what Ezekiel said. I ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. What did he eat? The written word. And that's exactly what was commanded in the pa- on the Passover night to the people of Israel. God commanded through Moses that they must not they must eat the meat. They were standing up, ready to go. They must eat without breaking any of the bones. Any of the bones. Remember the legs of Yeshua that were not broken. All the same. That is the word whole logos. So broken, broken or mixed means putting hodgepodge stuff into the word as the bible reminds us we're not to do that we are not to mix it take it apart because people don't like it or this is a little too hard for me to take we are instead to take it as a whole not to interpret reinterpret analyze reanalyze it as scholars do as second peter warns us in 1 6 to knowledge self-control You have to practice self-control in terms of how you analyze the word. If you go out of hand, then you're going to interpret it liberally, humanist way. Humanistic way, then it will go far away in the opposite direction than the will of God. And it will lead to destruction. 2 Peter 3.16 says, Some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort. And they do, the, they do that to the other scriptures, to their own destruction. So even if it's hard, I am to take it as a whole, take the teaching as is and say, amen. I'm, I'm going to pray on that so that I can obey. Even though it's hard right now, I'm going to put every effort to obey. That's why I'm praying. What do you say? Do you understand? Prayer is for the impossible to be done by the, by the almighty God. For the, for the impossible thing to be made possible, I pray. If I can do, why am I praying? Right? The Lord said, breathe. I breathe. I don't pray with the Lord. Let me help me to breathe today. I'm breathing. Unless you have breathing problem. I don't need to pray about that. But obeying and submitting, it's hard because of this flesh. That's why I need to pray on my knees and say, help me. Give me the power. Give me the faith to obey your word and live according to your word. Let your word to me be fulfilled today on this day. Amen. We must live according to the word, apply the word to our lives. As again, the passage, 2 Timothy 3, 15, 16 says, it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So I need to examine the word 
Make sure that you read the word so that, oh, my preacher is preaching, my pastor is preaching according to written word. I see exactly where that's coming from. And therefore, I need to take that word and say, amen, and apply it in my life, apply it to my life. And that will lead me to sanctification, to righteousness. So as I see the warning about the end times according to the writing, I need to wait for the moment that written word about resurrection to life will be applied to my, me in that day. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty four says, When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. How many of you want this word to come true in your, in your life in that day? I want death to be swallowed up. Death to be swallowed up in victory. And that, is, that means the spirit inside of this perishable body will come out to be a beautiful, spiritual, glorious body like that of Christ and finally enter eternal life. Hallelujah. We need to be able to stand and defend the Bible. Amen. Every one of us here, when we're asked, we need to defend. Not like, oh, because my pastor told me. Because my mom told me and my dad told me. I don't know. I don't know anything. This is what happens. A lot of you youths who grew up in youth group and they go to college and then they come out college and they become atheists. I don't know. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if there is a God or not. I don't know if Jesus is the only way. I'm not sure. Because the teaching out in the world, we still need education. And yes, we need the ability to analyze and think and be able to express and use as tools to defend the truth. But if you are not sure yourself now, you don't know how to defend for your faith. So this is the time right now through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who has revealed to us the word of covenant and prophecies. And one by one, all of them have been fulfilled except for his return. And all these, all this evidence that is out there to defend and support the religion liability of the basis of our faith, then I can confidently throw my life upon the word. I can throw my time upon the word. I can throw my possession, my wealth, my treasures upon the word. Because the Lord says, whoever for me or the gospel lays down these things will not fail to receive eternal life in the age to come and all that you have laid down in this age. So we are to experience his provision and experience the power of his word, the written word in my life. Because if the Bible is not true, we are doomed. So, but because the Bible is true, we have experienced my own experience according to the writing today. And if you don't have the experience, that's what you need to be praying for. I needed to experience the the reliability of the basis of my faith that I say I believe but I want to experience. Amen? And by that experience you can be confident that it is true. That the Bible contains the, the infallible inerrant word of God. Do you believe that? Do you want to believe that? That's what happened to the martyrs. And Paul saying, for whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. 
He who focused on the Jewish faith, but also scholarly knowledge that he had, the Apostle Paul, when he met the Lord and was truly converted, he tossed all of that, what he once thought was true and superior to other things, as inferior, as trash, as rubbish. Because knowing Christ... For who he came according to the writing, the scriptures of the Old Testament and fulfilled them all, realizing that, yes, he is the revealed God and his word is true. I can trust my life upon his word. And that's exactly what he did. And not only he, but many, many Christians came and we have, the, we have heard the gospel because of him, because of such believers. So I encourage all of us here to not just come because of people, not just come because people are nice here, not just keep coming because, oh, I feel something. You need to know that your feeling is based on the writing because many people have felt things, but not written in the Bible. You understood? People have seen things and heard things, not written in the Bible. It has to come from the Bible. Know the Bible, not YouTube, not TikTok, but the Bible. Amen? Amen. Whatever you watch on TikTok, YouTube, you say, amen, amen. The Bible, ah, no, man. No, man. God has mercy on you. That's what I would say. So find from the Bible like the Bereans with eagerness. Daily examine the Bible and pray that the word is applied in your life so that you can be a confident witness who can defend the written, the writing of the Bible. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Close your eyes and really ask yourself, do I know for sure What I believe is reliable. Who can stand for that? What is the evidence of my faith? It's this one single book. Because of this one single book, countless people have shed their blood and died. To even have access to this Bible, they were persecuted. Even some killed. We have it so easily. Yes, it's in the back burner. Somehow it's a source of embarrassment or it's a feeling of inferiority. Our faith is not in some secular books or magazines or popular things. Our faith is on the infallible word of God written by the inspiration of the spirit of God in the Bible. I need to have experience. I need to have experience that will convince me, confirm my faith. And if I have that experience now, I must 